Hello, and welcome to AgTech So What, brought to you by the AgVendic Group. I'm Sarah Nolette. Marketing in the AgTech space is hard. It's where the fast evolution, short timelines, and ambitious global reach of tech entrepreneurship collides with agriculture's relatively small and close-knit pool of possible customers and partners, where reputation is everything and time is measured in seasons rather than quarters. Agriculture is big, but it's also small. I often compare it to like living in a big, small town. It, it's big enough to have diversity, but you still know which family started the bank or the hardware store or the implement dealership. That's Camille Grady, the chief marketing officer at Bushel, a company aiming to build digital infrastructure for the grains industry. She's joined by Travis Martin, an ag tech marketing consultant who's also the founder of Magnetic Ag. Travis and Camille join us today to unpack some of the biggest challenges that ag tech marketers face as they work to establish new brands in a world where century-old competitors are not uncommon. We'll discuss how authenticity and integrity are playing an ever more central role in communicating across the new media landscape, and how they've crafted marketing strategies with the structure of today's ag marketplace in mind. Camille's journey to ag tech marketing was far from the usual one. Though she grew up on a Minnesota farm, her early career goal was to be an English teacher. I was really glad to have those early experiences to shift and think about what else I maybe wanted to do. And so I ended up in the nonprofit sector early on doing fundraising and development. I, I worked at a public broadcasting station and regional art museum, and then our local chamber of commerce running some leadership development programs. And so my coming up was not through the traditional marketing realm. Um, however, what I was doing in the fundraising and development realm was marketing. We just called it fundraising and development. And so a lot of the practices and principles are very much the same. Your marketing, your services of what you're doing for your nonprofit, your mission to your constituents, to those donors who want to be engaged with your organization. So I was at an inflection point. I have always stayed connected to our farm, have always loved agriculture. And it was just at this point, I was in my early 30s and wanting to just take a hard pivot. And there was a small startup in Fargo at the time called Myriad Mobile. And that's who we were before we came Bushel. We were a custom software development company working across different industries. And then just along the way, we knew that we wanted to somehow get into this product world. And we did. We ended up developing this mobile application, actually first in the sugar beet industry as a way for farmers to see their scale tickets through their mobile device. And then we translated that over into the grain industry. And that was really that origin story of Bushel. We found this kind of niche need of connecting farmers and their elevator coal processor mill with the information that they were really needing. We found this pain point early on and it just, it took off from there. And so since 2017, we've been in the market with Bushel and continuing to bring new products to the market. Travis's journey into ag tech marketing might be more intuitive than Camille's. He hails from an Indiana farm, studied agriculture at Purdue University, and got his first taste of ag marketing as an intern at John Deere. But despite an early career with legacy players, he's more recently traveled down the less traditional path to working with startups and founding the bi-weekly ag newsletter, Magnetic Ag. I spent what I say the first half of my career working for more corporate 
ag, so legacy Dow Agri-Sciences, and then back to my pork production roots at Alenco. And then really for the past four years now, I have floated in the ag tech ecosystem. So I've worked full-time, I've worked contract for almost a dozen different organizations as well as startups in our world, and I've done all sorts of marketing jobs. So it's everything from owning the marketing function at a smaller startup to really owning content and community to doing more growth marketing type initiatives. And then because of that, a lot of those activities and things that I was doing led me to find Magnetic Ag. How did you think about starting Magnetic? What were some of the original goals and how much of that came from inspiration in or outside of agriculture? The the newsletter, funny enough, was almost like a pandemic born project. I was at home a lot. So I had a a seven month old baby. And so a little free time, but I was tinkering on the internet and whatever that comes from. But the kind of the backstory is I was doing consulting for a variety of different ag tech companies. And part of that, and like you guys would be familiar is right. You do paid media placements, you're working with media, or you're trying to get interviews for your company within different media. So I, I was pretty well versed in working with the traditional ag media players. Beyond that, on the other side, I was working with ag tech startups who sometimes those people weren't coming from traditional ag or farming backgrounds. And, and so they were introducing me to really interesting tech publications and things like that. And so it's like this convergence of I'm getting all my ag news from the old school players, but I'm also reading these like really interesting newsletters that are quick hitting and easy to read and just a different type of way to distribute content. So really those, those worlds collided. I did not know when I started sending them if people would think they were interesting or dumb, to be honest. But I thought worst case scenario, it helps me practice copywriting because it's a little bit more punchy and witty. And best case scenario, we get a couple hundred people to read this and it's a good side project. And I think what's interesting is I think Magnetic has cre created an interesting following because it's just so different than what we're used to in our industry. And we don't do breaking news. We don't do anything crazy like that. And we really curate from the, all, the existing players. But I think just the, the big thing is we focus on brevity. We're trying to make this a quick read for people so they can stay informed. And we cover all parts of the industry. We're not just specifically looking at row crop or livestock. We want to keep people informed on kind of the interconnectedness, if you will, of all these things. I, I like what you said too. And can you hear maybe Camille, your thoughts on this, like traditional versus, I don't even know what we would call it, like digital or new age or content marketing, but like maybe talk a little bit about that. Camille, how did you think about for Bushel, what you'd use in terms of traditional marketing, whether that's paid placements or even how you'd think about it versus kind of content marketing uh, as it might be called? Yeah. So in the early days, we definitely did some of that traditional marketing. The, the trade publication game is strong within agriculture and it's really niche too. But what we found was you needed to do that for the, the brand awareness. But the other thing that we were doing at the same time, when we were first going to market with Bushel, we knew we needed to have our own original assets. We did not want to be using stock photography, even though the, the imagery that we have is very egg-centric and farm-centric and co-op processor-centric. We had to own it so that when we could stand out in all of the sea of things that were quickly being created. And along with that, we were able to work with a couple of customers early on too in capturing those early case studies. And we decided video was probably the best format for us to use. And we invested heavily in that and produced high quality videos that really put a polish to the product that we were bringing to the market just to give it a, a good brand built around it. So 
As I've reflected on how we first went to market, whether that was more traditional methods or more digital methods, we did it a little bit backwards by we built a strong brand first. And I think that came out of our DNA of being this agency. We had a really strong design team along with a really strong engineering team, but we built the brand first so that we had some things that we owned and we really honed in there. And then from there, it just became really organic and natural to continue, of course, working with customers to create content. Um, and then being able to deliver that content through some traditional channels, but of course our own channels too, as we've grown them along the way. Have you thought about that, Travis, like traditional versus digital, like what's working, what's not, where's the line, what's dead or not? I, I wonder sometimes if ag is hanging on to stuff that like, come on, we don't need to be paying 25 grand for a booth at a trade stall, but then like, maybe we do because we all need to get together, especially after the last two years. That's a good point. My experiences probably complement Camille's pretty well because I'd say I'm more over on kind of the B2B tech side. So most of the people I work with today are, are selling to either other ag tech companies or the companies within agriculture. And so one example I'll give, most of my nine to five these days, actually I work with Leaf Ag, an API first company focused on helping companies like Bushel or Climate or Deer or other ag tech companies that are building really have simple integration so they can build faster and scale faster for and, and give more you know value to their customers. And so with that, it's almost like I have to study a playbook from Twilio or Plaid or Stripe before looking at kind of some of the more old school ag players out there. So, so that really is a situation where I'm like throwing out a lot of what I've learned <laughs> for the past mm -hmm. couple of years, especially when I was with some of the larger corporate players, because marketing looks different when you work for an API company and it's very digital first. And it's honestly, we're very much focused almost on this mix between a, a top down and a bottom up sale. I'm almost looking more at, okay, what's an ag tech developer thinking and a lot less mm -hmm. of what's a farmer thinking. So in those instances, I'm, I'm very much in a different mindset versus maybe some other folks that I've worked with or contracted with part-time where it's more to Camille's point, you're finding a nice balance because some of that stuff still really works well. What we maybe are saying is more old school tactics, but it just looks a little bit different. I love what you're saying there, Travis, because we've had to do that too, looking at obviously different industries to look at what's applicable. Because, you know, I think when I think about marketing and ag tech, it, I think that the mindset goes to marketing to the farmer, right? At, at Bushel, we have rarely marketed directly to the farmer. We have worked with our customers to empower and enable them to use the products that we're providing. So we work with the, the grain elevator, the co-op, the retailer and provide them with marketing assets and enablement tools, a marketing kit to help them if they have our mobile app, get that out to their grower. But from a corporate marketing strategy, we're looking at some of the other paradigms out there in the other industries that have you know, done this in different vectors. And that's been a really effective way for us to think about you know, how we can be working more on this B2B type of approach as well. It makes a lot of sense. Even what you were saying before, Camille, about the imagery and you might need to have the overall brand and the overall assets be relevant to the broader like ecosystem in which you're operating. Like a farmer is not going to come to the website and go, who are these people? This has nothing to do with me. They're going to see that and go, I can see myself in this world. That's different to who you're actually marketing to from a kind of funnel perspective where marketing is the top of what you're trying to you know, drive leads and, and create sales. Yeah. Yep. And uh, along with that as well, one of the other things that we did early on was we're a tech company, but 
I don't know that we necessarily came off with some of the tropes of the <laughs> more complicated language. We, we kept it in very plain speak, not because we felt that the audiences that we were trying to reach wouldn't understand it. It's just that we just felt why overcomplicate it? Why make this more laborious than it needs to be for the the folks that we're trying to meet. Keeping it approachable, meeting people where they're at, I think has been an important part as well. And I'm willing to share this, but I think that's part of why like I have a brand crush on Bushel a little bit is because you guys did such a good job with that. Because to your point, we're in an industry where within, especially let's talk about ag tech, where there's a lot of new things coming. And man, there is just like a lot of things where I'm not saying the right, the product or the solution is probably good for the industry, but even just trying to understand what they're saying in this kind of really crowded space, I mean, that can make or break you. And so I think that's the power of like what you guys are doing at Bushel and similar things like we're trying to do at Leaf is like, how can we make maybe something that's new or slightly different, but just make it super clear because over like being catchy or funny or whatever, you can be super clear. That's really the number one opportunity. Yeah. And and here's another thing that we think about a lot as well. So with ag tech, agriculture is half of it and tech is half of it. It's obvious, but the technology side, how are we, again, how are we using the paradigms to put that within agriculture, but then how are we also delivering on the brand promises that we put out there initially? One of our first brand promises from Bushel was you know, to strengthen the relationship, strengthen the relationship between grower and grain elevator, elevate the relationship. We've remained committed to that. Now, that is not always the case with technology companies, whether they're ag or not, because shifts and pivots come along the way. And you try one type of business model and it fails. And that's okay. Like shifting and pivoting is all part of the game, not only in technology, but also agriculture. But what I think might be a little bit different in the agriculture industry as it relates to those brand promises is sometimes companies are a bit myopic with their brand promises. So they're a little more nearsighted, but the the memory in agriculture is long. It's the long view. And so it's a really interesting dynamic that I continue to just be fascinated about within the ag tech space is understanding the need to shift and and pivot. And we can all name companies who have done this and that's okay, but how does that work? And you just, you have a, a longer road to hoe to get over and reposition your company and reposition that brand promise. Do you have an example of that, Camille? Like either something that that has pivoted that you've had to think about whether the marketing around that changes or something where you made a pivot and you're like, oh good, I'm glad we didn't follow that, you know, too specifically because we we were able to maintain that confidence at the brand level. I'll give an example. Our brand promises remain the same. Our branding has changed. So I I don't know if many people remember this, but when we first went to market, we, I'm just embarrassed to admit this, but (laughs) we were called M Agri. So like mobile agriculture, and we shortened it to M Agri. And the reason we did that was because at that time, our, our eyes were bigger than our stomach. Probably we, we had already built this for the sugar beet industry. 
And then we were building it within the grain industry. And then we were also looking at oil and gas. So it wasn't obvious that we were going to dive deep into grain. And so we needed a more broad and generic name called M. Agri. And it was just the worst <laughs> decision because it was so confusing. And then we had to go back to all of these prospects, all of these contacts that we had worked with over the last, I can't remember if it was like eight to 10 months. And we basically had to reintroduce ourselves. We were a new brand, but the brand promise didn't remain the same. It's just that the brand was much different. So that was a lesson in like honing in on focus as well around the brand. Because I remember having a conversation with our co-founder Ryan at the time, and I was just banging my head against the wall because this name and brand was terrible. It was not connecting. It was just, it was hard to say, it was hard to read. And he said, well, Camille, 95% of what we're going to do is going to be in the grain industry. And then two days later, Bushel was born. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that clarity and focus can certainly help um, with some of that positioning and decision-making as well. I did want to jump into some of the tactics and things that have worked and haven't worked in this space. So maybe an example starting on the failure side, if you have one, uh, any initiatives or projects that you're willing to share, obviously that you've tried that you thought, okay, this is really going to work. And it just totally fell flat or otherwise didn't deliver, whether it was the leads or the brand promise that, that you thought it would. So one, I think of funny enough, as we're on this podcast is actually a podcast initiative and I won't get too granular in who the audience was or the company, but I think ultimately you probably know this well, Sarah, as I've learned with magnetic, any type of content project, it's a long game, right? To build an audience and to get buy-in and to create value for people. And so in that particular instance, we were focused on a niche within I'll just say soil health. And really the thought was, okay, there weren't any other players in that space that had really strong uh, podcasts. At that time, it was also right. And podcasts still probably in the scheme of media are, are relatively babies. It's new. So you're trying to say, okay, do we think there's enough adoption in that particular audience where we could become that? We are the podcast for that. And really it was probably a little bit of thinking we could get a lot more accomplished in six months than we could, think we'd grow the audience faster than we could. And really ultimately like the the learning lesson, the failure is um, it, it takes a long time. And I think maybe if we stuck with it, it was great. But at the time, and as you guys are probably well aware in ag tech environment, sometimes you have to produce a lot faster. <laughs> so it just didn't work. And so I'd say that's one thing I've learned just even at a higher level, like a content playbook, as you think about it, you've got to be willing to invest the time. Like you will have those pieces or those episodes, whatever it may be that are home runs that drive a lot of traffic really fast. But for every one of those, there's going to be nine that will perform pretty average. And you just have to be prepared to play the long game that way. Is there anything in there about one-way versus two-way communications? Like one of the challenges with content is you can put a ton out, but if people aren't engaging with it or having conversations around it, like that's what I found is the big difference between something that really sticks is people want to talk about it and write their own derivative post and have a chat about it. And the conversation keeps going versus you can pump out volume all day long. And sometimes that just doesn't help. Yeah. I think that also goes to people who have this mission to go build communities that like complement content that complement a company at times. And you hear a lot of, you hear good success stories of that, but I think sometimes you don't hear about all the failed attempts at that where, whether you're trying to create a Slack or a discourse community, whatever it is, but that is the goal is to get to that point where you're really creating the conversation and the engagement starts to happen naturally and it becomes a Reddit or whatever, but that's really hard. And it also probably is only possible in specific niches, like right where people are maybe more digitally native, if that's where it's being hosted. 
just a lot of things like that. And I think maybe an ad that goes why back to like in-person events are still really important because those are still like meeting places. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of good content still comes out. Mm -hmm. Any um, examples of something that maybe didn't work the way you thought it would? I would say early on in some of our channel development through partnerships, I just, I think we were just really immature in the structure and setting up of some of those partnerships. And here we thought we would have these conduits that would help us either resell Bushel or package it with something that they were offering. And what we found is we really needed to control that part of the sales process at that stage of the company. We were just too early to do that, taking that lesson, but also not thinking that we're never going to do that again. Understanding that was a phase and a stage of the company where we just needed to take that in and have a little more control over it. Because now we have partnerships that are much more effective and much more productive. And so I think And I think that's also part of it, right? Just because you did something in the past doesn't mean it's going to continue to be a failure in the future, but you also can't bang your head against the wall and continue to go down that path. You have to be continuously experimenting with other strategies or tactics. Yeah, totally. I think that my sense is that ag tech and agriculture generally is still really collaborative and there's a lot of come on my podcast or let's have a chat or let's host this event together or let's write this ebook together and it's still a pretty collaborative space are you guys finding that in the startup world as well or is there a bit of competition in in that space of different companies trying to own the space or get the leads for themselves or do you still find it to be pretty collaborative my experiences have been really positive i think of a lot of examples where, you know, and I'll just use Leaf again because it's the most relevant where nowadays we'll do uh, more long form blog content where we'll get like expertise. People will provide some insight into digital infrastructure from a, an API integration lens. And you're getting some really interesting takes and then doing a fireside chat with people like Jake from Bushel to like be in on those conversations, talk about what does that mean to a company like them versus what does it mean to a company like Climate. So I, I think it's been really positive from my experience. And I think, yeah, and I guess I've never worked outside the industry. So I don't know what that could look like in a really competitive environment, but I think it serves most people well to work together in that. I would agree. And I, but I also recognize that my perspective could just be skewed because at Bushel, we've always leaned into collaboration. So that's that's what we're attracted (laughs) towards. And also with agriculture on the collaboration front, agriculture is big, but it's also small. I often compare it to like living in a big, small town. It's big enough to have diversity, but you still know which family started the bank or the hardware store or the implement dealership. (laughs) And so much like that, I'll just belabor this even further, much like that big, small town, when you are new, when Bushel was new to the industry, much like being new to a big, small town, there's a group of people that just wrap their arms around you and are super welcoming. Hey, come and come and work with us. And we had that with some of our first customers. They co-developed and helped us understand how we could build something. The Arthur companies and Minn Kota, the Arthur companies north of Fargo in Arthur, North Dakota and Minn Kota egg products down in Wapton. Let's co-develop this. And then there's the next third that is interested in you. They're curious about you, but they're, they're not going to get too close. They're not going to get to know you uh, too well. And then the last third just doesn't want anything to do with you because they, they just might be threatened by you. You're new. They don't understand you. They don't know anything about you. And so it's just been really interesting to look at it through that 
paradigm. Something that you said there, Travis, really resonated with me or, or reminded me of this difference in how you think about marketing between like thought leadership and some of what Camille was talking about around like building the brand and kind of what we stand for and raising the profile of different conversations in the industry, pushing things forward versus sales, like product sales, product marketing, click here, download this, book a demo. And that can be a pretty fine line to walk. And I think especially in ag, the risk of frustrating people that you're too salesy or that you're too <laughs> transactional is something that gets talked about a lot. Any thoughts on that or any examples of balancing that kind of thought leadership with the ultimate objective, which is leads and sales and grow the business? It's a fine art, right? The one thing I'd say is I found in my experiences when I'm just doing more consulting versus more in the weeds with a company, I think the biggest success is when, at least as a function, you can sort of almost separate them a little bit. So you have someone who's focused truly more on brand, thought leadership, in all things that kind of fall under that bucket versus, hey, who can focus solely on our growth, right? Who can focus solely on demand gen? Who can like really think about like, how do we optimize the website? Does your SEO strategy and all those sorts of things. It gets muddied, right? When you're a startup, um, a lot of my experiences with folks is you don't have the capital sometimes and you also don't have the, the personnel to make that happen. So you're trying to scratch a plan together, whether it's with contractors or whoever it may be. But I do find if you can create that brand and demand rhythm where they really like coincide with each other and you've obviously got a good product and a good company, you can do really well and go pretty far. Having good branding and a great product is definitely a major part of the ag tech marketing equation. But as the space overall becomes more crowded, the challenge for companies has changed. From creating initial awareness and educating customers about ag tech solutions in general, to now needing to translate exactly why your customers should choose your product over competitors. Yes, crossing the chasm is just omnipresent in this discussion. Because when we first went to market in 2017, we only had our mobile app. That's what we first went to market with. And there really wasn't anyone else doing that, this white labeled app strategy. And so we didn't have much competition around that. And then slowly over the years, we've seen more of that point solution come out from other companies. And so we've continued to build out strategic roadmap and adding additional products or features to that, like our trade product to go embed deeper within the operations of the company. And so again, I talked about brand promise earlier, but the brand promise still remains. It's still about strengthening those relationships. It's just, you have to evolve how, which categories you're putting yourself into. And as you cross the chasm, you have to align to a category that's known for those late or early majority or mid market folks who are, they're not looking to be the, the early adopter. They're not looking to be the, the guinea pig on what you're offering. I was just going to jump onto Camille when you were talking a little bit about like the category creation piece of it. A lot of the groups that I work with today, I, I still try to preach that a little bit if it makes sense. It can really be kind of a, a really strong tool in your toolbox if you do it well. I hate when our industry gets called being a laggard, right? But that's just kind of, let's be honest, people talk about it that way. And so mm -hmm. as that is the case, that kind of gives startups an advantage to, to really use that playbook of like, hey, let's own this category, you know, let's churn out a bunch of content. Let's get our leadership team putting really 
compelling things out there on social media, you know, leverage it for all it's worth while you've got the time because you might then become in a situation like Bushel where slowly you start to see all these other people creep into your space. In the midst of making these shifts, agriculture and ag tech companies are increasingly being pulled into tough conversations around sustainability, farm policy, and overall social and economic impact. It's not uncommon for voices and brands in ag to tend to be defensive, but leaning into those tough topics can also be a valuable way to lead. What I think is important, though, in those tough conversations is making sure that we're not speaking in sound bites, but having the broader dialogue. Because you, again, it runs the gamut of, on the sustainability side specifically, if we use that, you have that same adopter mentality of the the early adopters to the laggards. And quite frankly, a lot of customers that we're talking to right now are just going, help. We don't know what to do. We want to be better, but my God, there is like a thousand things going on right now. How do you even just pick one? And so I think agriculture is getting more receptive to the feedback and some of the areas that we can do better, but it is just like drinking from a fire hose right now. I I think it's your point around education being the most important. I think farmers are now more than ever, like more open to have them. It's just a matter of, okay, yeah. How do you make sure they don't feel attacked in the situation or even the companies that are trying to create products to in the carbon ecosystem, whatever it is, like how is it just very clear what everyone's doing? What are the incentives and what's the outcomes? And I think that's become better than what it used to be, at least in my Mm -hmm. perspective. Mm, I'd love to hear what's been hard with building magnetic in particular for you, Travis, what's been challenging or an example of something that's been hard and same at Bushel for you, Camille. The magnetic example is I'm a marketing guy, not necessarily a media guy. So I started that as a side project and now it's turned into its own little digital media company essentially. So learning that process and what that means, that's everything from obviously scaling kind of the operations of it, but also bringing on writers, adding in from a biz dev side, like ads and creating compelling opportunities for brands to want to advertise with us and running that show. And then also more of the like longer term vision of, okay, who is the audience for Magnetic? So there's a lot of marketing challenges in that, that I can pull from my past experience, but there's also a lot of it's just very new to me. Just navigating that path, I'd say it's been the most difficult part. What's been hard, but rewarding is building the business. So getting good at the business fundamentals, but also building and preserving the culture. There, I'm certain are a lot of different things that we could do to accelerate some of the things that we're doing, but it might go against some of our cultural values. And so, like I said, it's hard, but it's also really rewarding when you have team members that when you see that light bulb moment for them go off in their specific domain expertise, we're building a business, but we're also bringing the the team along and we have aggressive goals. And so it's that balance of where do you push and where do you take a moment to pause and, you know, get the team caught up to speed. Camille, you said you had a couple examples of like a initiative or activity that was really successful, like whether it's a piece of content, an ebook, a podcast, a particular blog, like something where you're like, that really worked. I'd love to hear about those. This is more on the, you know, customer retention side and engagement, but it does help broader marketing on the lead gen side, because in a grain industry, it's, it's just, it's big, but it's small, right? Again, that same example of 
it, it being a very interconnected industry. Two things. One, we brought together a customer advisory board that we kicked up last year. We got together eight of our customers, 10 people meeting on a quarterly basis to help us think about some of our product development and positioning within the industry, things like that. And that's just been a super rewarding experience. And then the other thing that we recently did, and we've done for the past few years, is we send an annual gift to our customers. So again, either more on like the retention side, but they do impact that top of funnel part because of word gets out in the industry. We sent these bomber hats this year to our customers, these fur kind of hats with a bushel brand on them. And the response we got was just amazing. We like so many of our customers were taking pictures in them and we asked them to engage in social media too, but our team was just getting inundated with pictures of them engaging with bushel. And it was really fun because we're a software company. And so the tangible thing we have is in a device that we didn't create. And so to get something tangible, because so much in agriculture is tactile and tangible. So to get that in their hands, in this case, that bomber hat was so cool. In the past, we've sent beer bread with some flour of one of our customers, the mill with local honey, all these things. So that part, like engaging the physical and, and, and digital has been a fun part of this too. So I'll pull this from Magnetic as well, but it's actually something I'm now trying to apply with some of um, the folks I work with. And it's actually what I would say your retention piece, Camille, is it's a referral program. But when I started Magnetic, I thought, hey, I'm not going to go out and tweet a bunch. I don't want to do a bunch of public posting myself, but like, how can I get pe- the audience to really bring more people in? And so we started a simple referral program and there are incentives, right? If you get 10, you get a mug and 20, you get a t-shirt, but What's been interesting, I should say, is of the 10,000 readers we have, 72% of them were referred by another reader, which is just super cool. And then of that, the average, I think, of those people who have referred is like four, three or four. So they actually aren't even getting a reward. They're just sharing it, I hope, because they like it. And so to me, I think that points to a few things. One is I'm just trying really hard to do what you're doing really well so people will share it naturally. And two, I think it goes back to Camille, you made the statement around ag is like a community, much different, I think, than other industries. I think it's one of those things where I'm just lucky I happen to grow up and work in this industry that's like naturally has that like community type virality or if someone likes it they're going to share it with other people in our industry so yeah so that's been something that's been super cool that's worked well that's really honestly fueled our growth and something like I'm trying to see how do I do something similar in the businesses I work with and that's it for another episode of Ag Tech So What thank you to our guests Camille Grady from Bushel and Travis Martin of Magnetic Ag and of course thank you for listening For more information on any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit our website, agtechsowhat.com. There you'll find more information about both of these organizations and a link if you're interested to sign up to receive Magnetic Ag in your inbox twice weekly. It's awesome. You should definitely check it out. I'm Sarah Nolette. Catch you next time.